everyone, and welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. Today in HR, everyone's talking about talent development and its sister topics, engagement and retention. But a lot of the talk is just that. Development is hard to define, hard to put into meaningful action. So to gain some clearer understanding and some practical tips, we've asked Bob Keegan, and uh, who is co-author with Lisa Leahy of An Everyone Culture, Becoming a Deliberately Developmental Organization, which was recently published by Harvard Business Review Press. Keegan and Leahy have been research and practice collaborators for 30 years and have also co-authored Immunity to Change and How the Way We Talk Can Change the Way We Work. Keegan is the Meehan Professor of Adult Learning and Professional Development at Harvard University's Graduate School of Education. Leahy, also on the Harvard faculty, is a founding principal of Minds at Work, a leadership learning professional services firm. Welcome to HR Works, Bob. Thanks, Steve. Happy to be with you. So let's uh, dive into deliberately developmental organizations. In your (laughs) book... It's a mouthful, huh? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. We call them DDOs for short, so you don't have to say those long words again. But, uh, yeah, deliberately developmental organization would be kind of an answer to the question... If you, you know, deeply believe that your company is only going to go as far as your people will take you, uh, and you wanted to develop the most powerful incubator for growing talent within your ranks, you wanted to take account of all that we, you know, the science we have developed of adult development and neuroscience, what would your organization look like? What would your culture look like? And... Um, I uh, have spent a lifetime, uh, some of my co-authors, in addition to Lisa Leahy, by the way, this includes uh, Matthew Meller, Andy Fleming, and uh, Deborah Helsing. Uh, We have been uh, collectively probably spent over 100 years kind of uh, helping to develop that science and studying adult development, and we kind of dreamed up our kind of fantasy notion of what such a culture would look like, but of course that's not terribly interesting, I don't think, to a real world. So we then went out and kind of scanned the world. We, to be honest, limited ourselves to the United States because we wanted to spend time in these organizations and it's inconvenient to be flying to Europe every week. (laughs) We scanned the whole country to see if there were any organizations that actually were operating in this way, which we think would be kind of aligned with 21st century knowledge. We found three of these organizations, and we are in their debt because they were good enough and brave enough to let us come in. They really, um, they really barred us in no way. They opened their entire uh, organization to us, and we we studied the heck out of them for a couple of years and. They did not know each other. Interestingly, they are in three, you know, very different uh, kinds of businesses. They have, in many respects, lots of interesting differences. 
But what they all have in common is a recognition that in the normal organization, everyone is doing a second job that nobody is paying them for. And that second job is essentially looking good, hiding your weaknesses, managing other people's favorable impressions of you, always kind of being at your best. And while, you know, one can think of that as human nature, quote unquote, we actually think it turns out to be the biggest waste of the most precious resource any organization has, the time of its people. Imagine, and then I will end this long speech, imagine uh, an organization where people felt that the culture was trustworthy enough that they could not only be manifesting their strengths at work every day, but manifesting their weaknesses as well, as uncomfortable as that sounds, and then trusting that such manifestations were not going to be used against them, against them but rather that the culture would, uh, would appreciate your acknowledging those just as quickly as possible, thank you, so that we can build supports around you to overcome them, and you would begin then to be imagining what a DDO really is. So if you have this situation, are you saying that employees would be paid to better themselves? How would, how would that affect the bottom line? You've talked about strictly business value of being a DDO. Yeah, so uh, exactly. I mean, I think the DDO raises the question as to whether organizations and the people who work in them cannot be much, much bigger contributions, uh, contributors to each other's flourishing. How can the organization help its people to grow? And how can people uh, thereby, for doing this growth, uh, actually uh, benefit the company? So it's an absolutely fair question. I mean, uh, companies don't exist as human potential centers and, uh, you know, merely for the purpose of developing their people. But on the other hand, in the complex, unpredictable, uh, ambiguous uh, kind of world that we live in, most uh, managers and leaders of organizations know that they need to grow the capabilities of their people. With respect to the question as to what is the business value, man, that's a great question because when we when we scanned and looked for these organizations, we you know we weren't we weren't asking first are you a successful business by you know conventional metrics we wanted to know you know do you you know do you create a culture that allows people you know on a regular basis to engage their growing edge and you know when we found those we were very happy uh, you know to meet them and then of course uh, we became interested in you know whether or not these are also conventionally successful businesses because uh, we didn't want to be telling a story where the reader is uh, uh, looking at our book and kind of saying, yeah, these look like great places for people to work, but they're lousy businesses and they better <laughs> get the most out of them as quickly as possible because they're, you know, they're going to go out of business. So, you know, we, we didn't choose them at all with respect to how successful they were by conventional means, but I think it's, you know, no accident, at least it's something, you know, people need to ponder that these uh, three companies, I'll quickly take you through them, are all tremendously successful and highly regarded within their particular sectors. So the three companies very quickly uh, are uh, Next 
jump an e-commerce business, uh, a $2 billion uh, e-commerce business based in uh, New York with offices in London and Boston and San Francisco. And uh, they've won all kinds of awards. They won the McKinsey Award for Innovation. Uh, uh, there was an article about them, the, the best company you've, you've never heard of. Um, very successful e-commerce business, just like one quick indicator of their success. The average uh, turnover on an annual basis in these high-tech companies where you got these very bright young employees who are being recruited on an almost weekly or monthly basis is about 40%, which uh, I know any of your listeners will know, you know, is a huge cost of all sorts to the organization. When they became um, a DDO, uh, their uh, turnover rate dropped to single digits and it has been single digits, you know, leading their industry ever since. A second organization uh, is called Decurion, based in Los Angeles. Um, it is a portfolio company. It's kind of the mothership of of its best-known uh, division, which is the Arclight Theaters, fabulous movie theaters, high-end theaters, a great place to see a movie. But they also uh, have a, a considerable uh, real estate portfolio that they manage and they are also uh, in the area of assisted living, so they do a number of things. Um, again, tremendously successful business. Just to give a quick example, they have the highest, uh, within the movie exhibition business, they have the highest per screen gross of, um, of any movie chain. And the third company, which is probably the best known of the three, uh, even if mysterious uh, to many, is Bridgewater, a uh, financial services company, the world's largest hedge fund, uh, and its success um, has been well um, documented now in the press. It has returned more money to its investors uh, who are like um, big teacher pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and so on. It has returned more money to them than any um, any hedge fund in history. So one of the things we wanted to know, I mean, the question of can you run a successful business and be devoting so much time to the development of your people, I mean, the clear answer there is yes. They are the existence proof uh, that answers that question. But we're interested in a deeper question, which is do the two things have anything to do with each other? Is one contributing to the other? And uh, in the book, um, your readers uh, should read it and let us know if they find it compelling. But, you know, we take a skeptical view and we ask them to make the case, you know, um, as to how, because their answers, you know, really struck us. I mean, in all three cases, they were unwilling to say that they thought their culture was a mere contributor to their success. In all cases, they felt that the culture was the absolute leading contributor to their success. And, uh, you know, we asked them to make that case. And we have to say that, you know, by the time, you know, we heard three versions of their argument, we found it pretty convincing ourselves. Well, that sounds great. If, uh, if there's going to be a good ROI, it makes it easy to talk to the C-suite about it. Exactly, exactly. Now, when you're going to hire employees, if you want to be a DDO, do you use a special, uh, different approach to recruiting and interviewing? And is there different kind of benefits or incentive packages? 
absolutely. So, I mean, I think anybody uh, recruiting uh, has a, a goal not just to better understand this prospective hire, but for them to uh, understand, help them understand as well as possible the nature of the organization that they're joining. In this particular case, um, that's a, uh, you know, a challenging task. You, you, you want people to... Uh, to know that they're not going to be entering just any kind of company. That what they're really entering is, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, a kind of 21st century transformation of what work is all about. So it's no mere, <laughs> no mere tweak. It's really kind of saying to people, yes, you know, we're a financial services company. We're an e-commerce company. You know, do you, do you know how to code? You know, do you know how to how to think about investments? But also. Do you have an interest in coming to work every day knowing that, you know, your job is to not only, you know, uh, advance uh, our, our service and what we offer to our clients, but to be working on yourself, to become a better version of yourself, and to be supporting others uh, in their own efforts to improve themselves? And so... Uh, each of the organizations go to great lengths to give people, you know, a picture of that. I mean, one of the startling, attention-grabbing things about Bridgewater that often, uh, uh, you know, freaks people out is that they um, they so believe in um, the the kind of trust damaging quality of behind-the-back conversations, the sort of thing that goes on in, you know, nearly every organization, that they all agreed to eliminate the back uh, that anyone could talk behind by agreeing to tape record all their meetings. So if uh, I'm talking to you, Stephen, I, you know, you're, I report to you, and I'm talking with you about Alice, who reports to me, and you're asking me, you know, how Alice is doing, and she's not in the room, and I'm telling you how she's doing. Uh, Alice, I, I have a responsibility to send her an email after the meeting, uh, letting her know, you know, we talked about you, you know, uh, in such and such a room at such and such a time, and you can hit a button on your computer and you can listen to it. So we're talking about dramatic transparency. And this isn't just explained to a prospective hire. The fact that they have all this stuff taped makes it possible for them to say, you know, let's just drop you into, you know, what goes on, you know, in a in a typical meeting, you know, here at Bridgewater. And they can see, they can see, for example, that that meeting is often going to go back and forth between sort of the business agenda and the personal learning opportunities that, you know, arise uh, during the meeting. They're going to see that every employee around the table has uh, his or her own, uh, you know, company-issued iPad that has an app loaded into it that everybody has dialed into, and that app uh, lists the names of everybody in that meeting. It reminds everybody of the, I don't know, 30 or 40 uh, you know, desirable uh, characteristics of how to carry on in a meeting, which I think any organization would agree to, like, you know, clarity of communication, uh, courage to, you know, push your view when it's unpopular, and so on. And literally during the meeting itself, um, if you find yourself particularly impressed by the way somebody's operating, you know, you next to their name, you might, you know, 
give them a, an eight on a one to ten scale or something. You might even type in a few words. And similarly, you know, if you if you felt like somebody was actually doing quite poorly on uh, dimension and you know wimped out of a difficult conversation or something, you might indicate that too. So uh, the the prospective recruit is getting a picture that if I want to come to work here. Uh, and, and by the way, the research on millennials suggests that one of the things they most want, which they can't find in ordinary organizations, is more feedback. Well, the prospective recruit is going to see if I come to work here, I'm going to be getting feedback, not just like after every meeting. I'm going to be getting feedback, if I want to look at it, on my screen right during the meeting itself. And it's what tends to happen uh, in these you know, recruiting uh, potential hiring kinds of conversations is they do a good job letting people know this is a whole different conception of work. And you get some people who respond immediately in panic to such a possibility and say, thank you very much, and this is obviously not the place for me. You get another group of people who kind of, they, their their position is, I, I, this makes a kind of logical sense to me. I think it's going to be really difficult for me. I think I can, I think I can bear up under it. And you know, they kind of come in with a sort of a white knuckles approach. And then you get another group of people who are basically incredulously kind of staring at you as they get the picture. And what they're really saying is, you're going to pay me to to come in and work here. I mean, uh, I'm going to have all this kind of support to my growth and development, and you're going to be paying me as well. And, you know, uh, how quickly can I start? And obviously, I mean, that might be, assuming those people also have some of the talents you're looking for, you know, your ideal group. But also, you take a lot of people, I think, in the second group as well, and you hope over time to kind of convert them. Because, you know, what we've learned is the reason people get alarmed at the prospect of these organizations is that they they don't understand how how powerfully kind of encoded in their whole way of thinking about work is the notion of this second job they don't understand that there is another way to work than thinking of everything you're doing at work as a kind of performance that is then going to be judged and you have to hope like any performer on stage that you get good reviews and you have to hold your breath every time you get feedback and the notion you're going to be getting all this feedback you know is kind of terrifying what these cultures are doing is saying listen it is a waste of precious energies to be looking at work as a continuous performance and it would be much better to look at work as an opportunity for practice rather than performance and in practice, you know, we didn't hire you because we thought you were perfect. We hire you because we think you're good, and that means you can get better. And practice is a matter of making mistakes and making them fast and making them frequently and, you know, failing, failing forward. And in a, in a practicing context, if I told you the coach was going to, you know, rarely give you feedback, I mean, would you really want to hire that coach? So what really happens is when people, people start to work there, they kind of recognize that, that they have brought a whole different concept to what work is about, and that concept starts to change. Seems it's a lot wrapped up in that concept of trust that you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You've got to, you've got to believe 
that the culture really means it when they say we're not going to punish you for your for your limitations. But it's, you, you get pretty quick demonstrations of this because another big feature in the DDO is that rank doesn't have its usual privileges. You're not shielded if you're very senior up on the highest floor of the building in a very quiet floor. I think it's always struck me whenever I'm up on those floors is how quiet they are, how far away from the action, you know, the leaders are. In a DDO, you know, you, you better be perfectly fine with somebody a half or maybe a third your age, you know, coming up to you as, as a, a, a young man did to Ray Dalio, the, the founder and leader of Bridgewater, and said to him, Ray, I'm giving you a D plus on your uh, presentation at that prospective client meeting yesterday. We told you, you know, that we really wanted to land this client and we needed you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it seems to me, uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, Ray, but it seems to me that you really didn't prepare for this meeting. And can you imagine, you know, a 25-year-old kid saying to his, you know, 65-year-old leader of his company something like this and, uh, and having a job the next day? You know, and he certainly did. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, build uh, people's trust that this isn't just a lot of talk. This is really the way we operate. Is there anything that uh, that you do differently in compensation or incentives in a DDO? Yeah. So at Next Jump, for example, um, they they literally compute your bonus on twice. So fifty percent of your bonus, and no more than fifty percent of your bonus, is related to your contributions to revenue, your contributions to the bottom line and, and to the business. And 50% of it is uh, based on your contributions to the culture. How, how, how much do we see you working on bettering yourself and helping those around you better themselves? And you can be a, you know, a client giant. You can, you can be somebody who just you know, tops everybody else in terms of the business you bring into the company. And uh, you know, if you're doing nothing on the culture side, your bonus is, you know, going to be half, you know, of what it otherwise might be. That's pretty, pretty clearly hardwired that, you know, you have this dual job. When we um, look at typical organizations' approach to employee development, uh, we often find there are lots of programs, they have off-site meetings, other kinds of initiatives, but yep. they're usually decided on by executives, and then HR probably implements them. And a DDO, though, it seems like there must be more than this. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, we think that, you know, without realizing it, we've put together a kind of 20th, I mean, we, the organizations collectively, if you look at them, have put together a kind of 20th century answer to how do we develop our people. Because most of the organizations we talked to when we were scanning and looking for, for DDOs, you know, in the wild, so to speak, would, you know, first thing they'd say is, you know, our people are our most important component of the company. We believe in people development. We do all kinds of things. So what do you do? So the 20th century answer is a collection of things that sound different, but if you step a bit back from them, as I'm going to suggest to you, they actually are part of a common family. And that answer is, as you suggest, mentoring programs, executive coaching, high potential programs, leadership development programs, even, you know, corporate universities. And we don't think there's anything wrong with these. And 
many of these go on, you know, in the three DDOs that we studied as well. But they go on as figures on a on a bigger ground that we think begins to shape a 21st century answer to, you know, how best to develop our people. Because the reason we say the 20th century answer all those things that sound, you know, quite different, but what they all have in common is first that they're uh, they're too infrequent. I mean, the, the the application, so to speak, you know, may not happen often enough. Uh, in terms of you know the the offsite or the executive coaching or the leadership development program, they're for too few people. I mean, just take the high potential program. Typically, for five to ten percent of your people, which by the way, no one thinks about the damage you're doing to the other ninety percent who you're indirectly declaring you know uh, don't have uh, high potential. So, it's for too few, and it's going on too far away from work. It's it's something that's kind of extra and outside uh, of the workflow, and that, that costs the company something, and people aren't working when they're you know, off uh, kind of in the program. And if something great is going on in that space away from work, you still have the problem of transfer. Can people actually transfer what they've learned in this uh, you know, high potential program when they come back into the culture? What these DDOs are doing, in addition to
talking to any person in Next Jump without their kind of uh, disclosing to you which way they lean. So they'll say, so, so I'm working on this project, you know, where we're trying to develop, we're trying to alter this website. And by the way, I lean arrogant. So, you know, and everybody just tells everybody <laughs> which direction they lean in. Okay. So they have like, you're not just kind of, you know, kind of having a better understanding of yourself, but on a regular basis, you're having opportunities to practice. So the first, the first talk I ever gave at Next Jump to tell them a little bit about the work we were doing. They then opened things up to questions, and this woman asked me a question, first woman, and, and uh, I think it was Megan Messenger, one of the leaders of, of the company. She she stopped me before I, I could answer, and she said, before you answer, Bob, I just want to point out here, you know, that, you know, Denise asked you this question. And this is because Denise leans insecure. And, you know, we all know that the insecure people tend to speak little and, and last, you know, in meetings typically. And the arrogant people talk a lot and they talk first and they get in. So we invite everybody to practice, just even in a meeting. If you lean insecure, get your voice in early, just like, you know, Denise did. And by the way, you can be sure, Bob, there are several people sitting around this table who are having to clench their fists to keep themselves from talking because they know they lean arrogant and they're practicing moving in the other direction. So. There, there you have the practice and the, and the development just going on just beautifully, just in the very context of the work itself. How about the uh, role of human resources in a DDO? Could you touch on that a minute? Yeah, I would think that anybody interested in human resources, and I spend a lot of time uh, in lots of you know, more ordinary organizations. I mean, they're, they might be very special in many ways, but I mean, they're not DDOs. And uh, and with people in the HR, what I what I find is there's 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 so many when I when I talk with anybody in HR about kind of would they like to get involved in any kind of you know initiative that has to do with people's interior life with developing you know their their own personal you know capacities and capabilities I always get this kind of like you know uh, salivating kind of response like that's why we got into HR in the first place and you know we're spending more of our time working on you know personnel kinds of things and how to lay off you know seven percent of the workforce in some kind of humane fashion and you have a lot of people it looks to me in HR who would like nothing more than to be working at the level of actually helping people to grow and develop and uh, in a DDO, there is a kind of organization-wide responsibility for those functions. That is, one of the tenets we say is that in, in a certain respect, everybody is HR. I mean, everybody has the responsibility to be supporting each other. At, at Next Jump, they have a formula that a better me plus a better you equals a better us. So at one level, everybody's working on this. But the the HR group in a DDO is a, is a kind of king, I mean, a really honored and revered space because the HR group essentially becomes the culture champions and the people who are, you know, tending to it and innovating, you know, uh, within it and thinking about how to keep it, you know, whole and robust. Okay, now if a, if a company is looking to become a DDO, I guess the first thing they do is buy a copy of your book. Ah, that's and then, a good uh, idea. They and should then, buy a hundred, a hundred copies. Dear. Or maybe a hundred copies. <laughs> and then, uh, but what would the next steps be? 
Okay, so in the book, uh, people will see that although we're, we're featuring these three organizations and, and uh, really taking you into the life of them and showing you their practices, and there's even a chapter that gives you a chance to go through an exercise where you would see what your own growing edge is that you'd be working on in a DDO. There's also a whole chapter on, yeah, getting started. And, and there we, we kind of more briefly take you into, uh, I don't know, five or six organizations that we've actually started working with uh, who are not yet DDOs, who don't know exactly how far down that path they may want to ultimately walk, but who are really intrigued with the ideas and who want to move in that direction. So a few things I'd say, first of all, is, you know, almost to be a bit of a devil's advocate, uh, if I'm speaking to leaders, you know, of an organization or of a department that has the freedom to, you know, kind of remake its culture, my first question would be, why do you want to do this? You know, so like if you don't have a business goal, if you don't have some kind of a gap you're trying to close, if everything just feels like it's perfect, you know, where you are, uh, you probably wouldn't be thinking about this anyway. So uh, let's start with what you're actually trying to accomplish in, you know, plain and simple, you know, business language. And let's make sure that everything that, you know, we're doing and looking at in making these innovations is uh, put alongside whether it's helping us to better to accomplish kind of that business goal. Secondly, the leader has to be aware that this is not an overnight thing. Altering a culture and altering basically people's unrecognized theory of how work works, you know, of, 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 you know, what it means to be giving up the second job of kind of protecting yourself and trying to look good. This is not easy and it's not fast. So if people are looking for a McDonald's uh, drive-through transformation, this is not um, the uh, initiative of choice. You've got to be willing to be in it for a couple of years uh, to really be working at, I don't mean you're going to have to wait that long to see results, but it's going to be a couple of years before the culture has really, you know, begun to turn the corner. Third thing, you have got to be, if you're the leader, you have got to be a full participant. This cannot be, I'll watch everybody else do the hard work of, you know, working on their weaknesses. The leaders in the DDOs are themselves models of people who are acknowledging they don't have it together all the time. They make mistakes. They are learners like everyone else. And so, uh, you know, the leader has to kind of have that sense. Also, if the only reason you're thinking to do this is just kind of for the bottom line, you probably don't have the kind of will that's going to allow you to kind of stick with it. You you have to have, in, in all three of these companies, I'm not saying anyone's a saint, but they kind of recognize there's a, a kind of mutuality going on here. It's not like you have two separate goals. You want to increase the success of your business and you want to kind of grow your people. You realize that one thing actually leads to the other. It's a dialectical kind of relationship. And you take a certain satisfaction in, you know, having an organization where people are becoming bigger and better versions of themselves as much as you take a kind of satisfaction in the, like, financial uh, growth of the company. Last thing I would say is that, uh, this is a little bit of a plug, but um, I think it could be very useful. Uh, if people are interested, they want they may want to go, we created a little company to kind of support the idea and the practice of the DDO. 
that company is called Way to Grow Inc. All, so the, there's a website, waytogrowinc.com, and uh, you'll see there are all kinds of information about the DDO. But uh, the other thing that you'll see there is that we've created a kind of a survey that uh, lots of people within the organization can take, and uh, it then gives you a kind of uh, really interesting single-page picture of how developmental really is your culture right now. And it, it breaks down all the different dimensions kind of of a DDO. It shows you where you are on each of these dimensions. It shows you where you are in comparison to the DDOs. So you can see the kinds of things that you're actually doing quite well currently to help your culture be developmental. But you can also see the optimal kind of areas for improvement. And I think that's another way of getting started is basically just to take a good look in the mirror. Wow. Well, I've got a lot to think about. I know I'm. <laughs> I got to figure out how much time I'm spending on my second job, right? And I got to figure out how I lean, and then I've got right. to think about it from the company standpoint too. So right. before we close off here, I just want to mention again the name of the book. It's Keegan and Leahy. It's an everyone culture, becoming a deliberately developmental organization. And it was recently published by the Harvard Business Review Press. So, Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, this was fascinating. Steve, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Listeners, please let me know what uh, HR work should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.